children. Matt, thanks so much for joining us tonight. And we look forward to hearing what this panel has to say about the paper pause. Well, thank you, Janet. I appreciate the intro. Sorry if you saw me, if you saw me cringe, it's because I went to Ohio University, not Ohio State. And and if you're if you're a, a Michigan fan, like my household is, you can't say Ohio State. It just doesn't work. Um, so, uh, but but that's okay, Janet. I'll, I'll I'll forgive you. Although Mary might not. So, but I, I can't I can't promise you anything. Uh, but I'm excited to be here, uh, and I'm very excited to have a very distinguished set of panelists here. Uh, give some brief introductions uh, of who we have with us. Meg Reed, she's the director of Hub City Press in Spartanburg, South Carolina. So thank you for joining us, Meg. We have Dirk Heiler, who's the president of operations at Lakeside Book Company, uh, a, an illustrious BMI member, Lakeside. So thank you, Dirk. Uh, we have Dave Hammond, who's the senior director of paper purchasing at Penguin Random House, and he has been in the paper department for 22 years. So we have uh, a wealth of knowledge there on the paper side. And then Jane Searle, who's the Vice President Director of Production at W.W. Norton. Uh, she's been in book publishing for uh, an awful long time, 37 years, but the past 15, she's also spent on higher ed textbooks. So that gives us a good uh, variety of backgrounds and knowledge. Um, and so with the, the start of this program, you know, the book form called this the paper pause and, and there's a lot going on and it's a lot of it's paper driven, but but there's also some other supply chain factors in the mix. And I just wanna start by level setting and give folks uh, a little bit of of data, which is it's always good to, to give ourselves some numbers to look at. Um, so Zach, if you don't mind um, throwing up that, that first slide um, and just let me know if it's up there. Okay, great, thank you. So our friends at Pixel, uh, one of the paper mills gave us this information to kind of give folks an idea of, of what's happened. Uh, and this is just a very small snapshot uh, of, of because it's only talking about the uncoded free sheet market. But effectively, you've seen the change in paper machines or mill closures since 2018 and the amount of net tonnage that has been removed from the supply chain. Um, and this could be uh, like that first one uh, on that list saying, you know, they just permanently shut it down, uh, that paper machine. A lot of them you see uh, were converted, um, meaning they're no longer making graphic arts, fine book papers, but they've switched over to the larger segment and growing segment and more profitable segment, unfortunately for us, of packaging. Uh, so that whether that's uh, the paper that you see in that Amazon box you're getting every other day, or if it's my house, even more frequently, um, or some of that liner board and boxes, um, those are getting made more and more. So certain companies are saying, well, it just makes more sense to flip over the machines that, that we're making book paper and, and turning them into that. So if you just look at the uncoded free sheet market, which is this slide, just since COVID hit in 2020, 1 million tons of capacity has been withdrawn. Um, and that's just since COVID hit. So that's not including the, the 18 and 19 stuff that you see there, which is, uh, you know, almost uh, one, one and a half, one and, one and a quarter million tons coming out. And again, that's just uncoded free sheet. I could per put together a slide like this on coded free sheet and a lot of the uncoded groundwood and coded groundwood and, 
and all that. And unfortunately, they're all going to look the same. Um, that over the last 10 years, the amount of capacity in the paper market has changed drastically. Um, now, I think everybody understands that at this point, especially if you're in publishing, you've had some issues with paper. Um, the, the other thing that has really changed is the labor market. And that's affected probably everybody who's here. It has definitely affected the book manufacturing market and, and folks like Dirk and, and other members of BMI who would love to hire more people but just can't. Um, and there's also a segment that affects everybody that really wants to hire more people but can't, and that's the trucking industry. Um, and so, Zach, if you want to flip over to the next slide, this comes from the American Trucking Associations. Uh, this is their own um, public facing estimates of the shortage of truck drivers that we can expect in the United States uh, over the next 10 years. And that 2020 number that's around 58,000 for a long time, that was the number that uh, ATA was giving. Um, and, and then slowly they said, oh, you know, by 25, we might be up to 125 or 120,000 truckers missing. And, and you see that that is the case. And they're saying it's only going to get worse year by year. Um, so even when the paper gets there, uh, if there's paper to be had, it may not be able to get trucked in. Um, even when the books are done, they might not be able to get trucked out. Uh, so it, it is a very, very tough place to be right now uh, in book manufacturing and publishing. Um, so you know, let's kind of start there, Dirk, um, on the manufacturing side. You know, we just, BMI just wrapped up our spring management conference yesterday. Uh, and this was, you know, a big, the big topic of conversation because you might get paper, but the day you got paper, you might not have people to run the machines. The day you have paper machines, you might be missing a part to get the press run. And then the day that they're all done, there might not be a truck uh, or cartons to put them in or something else. So it just seems like uh, it's, it's, it's a game of whack-a-mole right now. What are you, what are you seeing at Lakeside? Well, I, I would tell you, you, uh, you explained it very well, but, but before I get jump into that, I want to say thank you to everybody, you know, for having us here. I think this was a great topic and, and great information to share and, um, and look forward to any questions that the group has, but Matt, you, you hit it on the, the, the nail on the head. To me, what we're doing is every day we're putting together a jigsaw puzzle to produce a book. And when I say that it's in the past, we would really worry about files. Do we have files? Did files come in? Because you know, we wanted to make sure the content was right. We worked the, with the publishing community. And those were usually the last things to arrive or they would arrive on you know a, a planned schedule. Nowadays, the files really, I don't think I've had a conversation about files in the past year. It's really about materials and, and labor, as Matt said. So a couple things, for example, um, folks probably don't realize this, but for printing plates, all the aluminum for printing plates comes from Europe. Whether the plates are made here in the States or made over in Europe or in Japan, all the aluminum comes from Europe. So when things go wrong, like the uh, the issues in Ukraine, and it affects you know whether it's materials or supplies over in Europe, that has a tendency to affect us. And so, so we are really a world economy, and we get our raw materials from Europe, and and inks get their raw materials from China. So if we get those materials in, that's great. Um, then we're we're saying, do we have paper? Right? As Matt said, 
paper may be manufactured, but we're run, what we're running into is that trucking issue or that freight issue. And we're working with different publishers and mills to try and expedite paper. I may have, um, I may have a, a truck load of paper that's expected on a Friday. And this has actually happened two weeks ago, a truckload of paper expected on a Friday. And then what happens is it doesn't show up. We don't get word over the weekend what's happening. So we come in Monday and we either are shutting equipment down because we don't have that paper or we're looking to pull other work up. And then it's a matter of, do we have the right materials to pull that other work up? So it's a constant jigsaw puzzle at this point in time. And then on top of that, as we said, if we have the materials and we have the files, then it's do I have the labor? Or the other thing is, as Matt alluded to, is parts, but it's not just parts because the labor shortage also impacts our suppliers, or I should say our vendors that fix equipment. So if I have a piece of equipment down and I call and a repair that would normally have been maybe two days to get done, it might be two weeks or three weeks now because they don't have folks. So yeah, whack-a-mole, Matt, is a good way to describe it. Putting a jigsaw puzzle together, every day is an adventure in uh, in in the uh, the average printer these days. Yeah, that's that's what we're hearing across the board. So uh, I was at an event uh, a couple <clears throat> weeks ago for the Christian publishing industry, and and we we were up on stage and said, okay, if 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 you haven't had a book delayed in the last twelve months, raise your hand, and then you know nobody raised their hand. So uh, book delays are happening all the time, and whether that's trade ed or education, you know, it's a constant juggling uh, right now. So, Meg, from the trade side, um, you know, w what are you seeing in terms of, of deadlines and production timelines and, and how things are moving on your side of the equation? Yeah, um, thanks so much for having me. This is, uh, I feel like I'm gonna learn so much in this panel um, and, and, and I'm really glad to offer someone of the, the small independent publisher perspective. Um, Hub City Press is, we've been around for 27 years um, and we publish fiction, nonfiction, poetry and, and regional interest in both paperback and hardback. Um, so a lot of small presses don't, don't do hardback, but we do. Um, and so uh, what we have seen um, is just, a, a, a lack of being able to actually adjust our timelines because by the time we figure, we hear from printers, it's already too late sometimes to make an adjustment. So what we, what I have seen is, you know, the trade market is very dependent on pub days and pub days are important and you base your media and you base your events around those days. And, uh, you know, obviously I think the, the whole pandemic has made people a little bit more flexible, but seeing those pub days change, but, um, but that doesn't, we still have to set a date and say this is the day the book is coming out and uh, and what we're finding is that even if we go a month or two earlier to go get a quote from a from a printer they'll say oh no we can't do that month like April's April's gone you have to do May essentially um, and you know and so it's like but we're getting that information like you know far far after we kind of need it um, so it's just a very, uh, it's a hard thing to adjust to because uh, trade publishing works on a, you know, long schedule. We're working on these books for 18 months and then uh, the, the, the point where you have to go to print has, has stretched so far from the pub day um, that it often feels, you know, like it, it's very hard to set print runs. It's very hard to know how many books you need because at a certain point, you're kind of just making an educated guess based on other books that you've done um, because 
you know, a thing I've been telling people often is that our sales reps go out, out at a certain point. We were distributed by PGW through um, Ingram, but PGW and their sales force goes out a good six months before a book comes out. But that's where we get our feedback from from the field about, you know, how what the interest is in our books. And, and uh, that is happening so far after we've already had to talk to the printers that, um, you know, it just the, the pieces just are not coming together in the order that they need to they need to come together. Um, so you have a lot of events that don't have books. You have you have to, you know, contact media and ask them to move things sometimes multiple times, which you can't do. So you just have media and stuff appearing before, well before books are available. Um, so it has yeah it has definitely been and and the other part of it the thing that's very we are a very small team and. Uh, and with the with the printers, you get the sense that they are working as hard as they can, and they're very communicative. So, um, as a small publisher, there really isn't a, we don't have a lot of leverage because we're not printing you know massive amounts of books. But the other thing is, you get the feeling we all get the feeling that if if the printers had the paper and they had the labor, um, that they would be printing these books. So uh, it's 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 a frustrating situation because there's nobody to get mad at. Everybody is absolutely doing their best. Um, but for the small publisher who is a very small part of the market and 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 uh, and you know not printing as many books, it, it's a really um, very stressful uh, environment to be trying to plan anything in. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And 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 I could tell you that I know again speaking with a lot of the book manufacturers over the last week, you know I think everybody is doing their best to to work. And Dirk can agree to this, I'm sure. Yeah. We we all want the books to, to hit and to hit on time and, and to, to be where they need to be. But, but there's a lot of, a lot of moving parts. Right. And, and so, so Jane, how is this affecting the education market in terms of, you know, pub dates are a little bit different, you know, with, with the ed market, but um, you know, what are, what are kind of the expectations that, that you're seeing and, and, and what's happening on that side of the fence? Well, the biggest effect we've seen is that we are having to request our print quantities so much further in advance than we used to. Uh, we are now being asked by our main printers to pin down print quantities a full year before the warehouse date. And it creates this hurry up and wait situation because the reason they're asking for this information so far ahead of time is so that they can essentially go out to the paper mills and lobby them and say, look, here's our forecast. Here's how much paper we're going to need. Please sell us your paper. But as I'm sure most of the folks on this call know, everyone, especially a lot of what college buys at Norton, um, I mean, we buy all sorts of paper, but our biggest challenge right now is the lightweight coated market, the free coated sheets, and everything is on full allocation. So we have to get our print quantities well in advance so that our paper merchants or a printer, if we're buying consignment from them, can go to the mills and say, this, these are how many millions of tons we want to buy from you. But then we have to wait because the mills are saying, okay, that's good, good to know, great. Uh, so come next February, we're gonna tell you how many pounds we're going to sell you in March. So I'm sure that's um, frustrating for the folks in our business department who are having to come up with all these numbers for us. And I can say, gosh, it's so great to work at Norton because everyone is, is just so professional and respectful and patient. 
And so they are getting us these numbers. And then we then have to sometimes go back. With December, we had a huge wave of, all right, here are all the books, all the copies you told us for this whole list that you wanted to deliver, uh, but we're about half a million pounds short. So now look at the whole list again and start paring it down. So what we did then was a combination of slashing print quantities and also postponing some of the versions. So we take like say half a dozen titles and we'd print all of the instructor versions in December, but then go back to press. Like we're still going back to press now for books that should have delivered to the warehouse in December, but we did the instructor copies then and now we're printing the various for sale copies. Uh, so that's all because of the paper, but we're also having to uh, narrow down the kinds of versions we print and that's because of labor. Any version of a book that is labor, hand labor intensive, like three hole punch versions, we're pretty much eliminating them because we it just it's going to take too long to make them and get them. So we're having to tell the marketplace, you know, we really can't offer these anymore. We're reducing the number of hardcover books uh, because of the shortages in board and because certain binding lines need a certain number of crew members and they can't, the printers can't crew them reliably two or three shifts a day, even possibly one shift a day. So we're having to really reduce those quantities as well. So it, it's the same thing as I was on the train on the way home thinking about all these things. Whack-a-mole is exactly what came into my head. And, and that's, you know, Dirk, thank you for saying that or Matt, whoever was the first one who said it, but it is our life now every day. There is no routine, there is no normal. It's just, you come to your desk every day and you learn what the fire of that day is, what the emergency of that day is, and you immediately start planning all the different possible solutions to it. And then we jump to our business folks who then get that information from us, make their choices very quickly. And so it, it's kind of like working in a book emergency room all the time. And, uh, and I don't see it changing anytime soon. I don't know if, what anybody else on this panel sees, but I don't see it getting better anytime soon. Yeah, the, the, the triage is, is real, uh, that's for sure. And so Dave, you know, as someone who's been buying paper for a really long time, uh, you know, how do you see this change that's been happening? How do you see it moving forward? What, what has been uh, PRH's kind of response and, and and how do, how do you think folks can can try to weather the storm? Yeah, um, it, it's it's been a storm. I mean, like I've I've been at uh, Random House and Penguin Random House uh, for 22 years, and these last uh, two years, especially the last um, about 18 months, ha have just been unlike anything I've ever seen or even heard about. Um, you know, from stories when I first started. Um, from from start to finish what you guys are talking about, whether it's fires each day, whack-a-mole, emergency room. Um, you know, in the past, you know, we'd come in, my group and I, and we might have a title that's running and we're trying to figure out, okay, what papers do we have? What can we move? Where are we printing? Now now you come in every day and it's not it's not just the 50,000 reprint or, or the 75,000 reprint of a book that's taking off. You know, I'm spending a lot of my time on 2,500 re count reprints, 2,000 count reprints that where are we getting the paper from? Um, and then it turns into, okay, we, we have the paper here, but we can't get it here. The truck was, like Dirk was saying, the truck was supposed to be here Friday. We don't hear anything about it. 
finally come in Monday, try to pick up the pieces, see where we can go. Um, you know, as a company in the beginning, um, coded and offset, whether it's lightweight, heavyweight coded and offset, they, they were the first of the of the mills that really started struggling. We, we do buy a lot of groundwood, uncoated groundwood. For the first year through the pandemic, you know, we were able to weather the storm as best we could. Um, but then as 2021 ended and we got into 2022, more of the labor issues, uh, more the trucking shortages really started to hurt. And just with book sales going so strong, um, we just couldn't keep up. All the mills went on to allocation. And, and some of the mills are on rolling allocation. So we don't necessarily know month to month what we're actually getting. So I'm getting numbers now for July and August that can you know vary by a couple of hundred tons. So a, as a paper group, what we try to do is, is we're trying to look as far forward as we can, but also trying to rely on what we know in the past and make as many educated guesses as we, as we can on where things are gonna print. Um, I, I think the number is something like 15 new printers that we've added as a company in the last two years. Um, but what that means is, you know, I have a six by nine inch book. I might be printing it on five different roll sizes at those at five different printers. So um, I need 51 inch here, 50, 38 and a quarter inch. So trying to navigate that when we used to live in a world with where LDC was a great word, last date to change. We get LDCs, we let the production managers know, okay, your, your book's due September 1st in the warehouse, paper's due August 1st, your LDC's July 1st. Um, now it's, your LDC is the day we can order the paper. If we can get the paper, that's your order date. There's no changing it. Hopefully we can get some more if we need it, or we'll have something similar, but that's been one of the biggest adjustments is our communication with internally is just making everybody aware that you know, this isn't going to get better, unfortunately, um, as you were talking about with the converting of paper machines, um, the mills that are up for sale. Um, you have store Enzo putting four mills in Europe, paper, uh, book paper mills up for Europe and their CEO saying that book paper is not their uh, uh, strategic area growth, area growth. So they're, they're selling the mills and it just kind of tells you right there. Um, book paper is not thought of right now with, with these mills. It's packaging and, and it's other things. So it's we're going to have to get into the new normal, which we are experiencing now, which is ordering for paper as we're also doing print, which is as a company, what we've been doing more of. Um, I've been involved in way more planning meetings, being involved way more throughout the entire company to help and, and kind of guide and say, you know, th this paper may not be good for these books at this location, or we need to go three, four months in advance in this location, or this is honestly something I can't get right now. Um, we haven't had an allocation and I can't get it. Um, so even as, as, as a large trade book publisher, it's, it's still just everything is, is on its head right now. Hey, Matt. Oh, you're muted. You're unmuted. Yep. Yep. Got it. Sorry. Um, you bring up a good point, Dave, in terms of the, the communication, right? The, and, and you're, you're making sure that, that, the LDCs, the, the day the paper gets ordered, et cetera. And, and, and so it's changing the way you're needing to work through the entire um, supply chain, right? For the entire life cycle of the book, if you will, from from the design through pre-press to print and distribution, right? So, you know, Dirk, I, I, I think you said something like you guys work with 300 plus different kinds of paper uh, at, at Lakeside and, and you know, Dave's talking about how it's it's he's changing roll sizes because he's working with different printers and and 
I mean, is part of the issue the 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 vast amount of papers that someone can pick, and 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 that that's probably going to have to shrink just so people can really have a better idea of what's going on. And then with that, Dirk, how have you how have you seen your relationships not only with the paper side and the paper merchants and mills, but with your publisher customers change in terms of how you work together? Uh, in that sort of relationship. Yeah, so Matt, what you're referring to is, you know, I took a look at the last year, paper that we at Lakeside had purchased, and we had purchased, if you just look at, you know, PPI, you look at, you know, shade, you look at just some of the different um, components of it, 330 different types of paper. And then if you, if you take, as Dave talked about, different roll sizes, that actually goes out to over 1,200 different individual types of SKUs. And that goes from millions of pounds for a SKU down to 15,000 for the, the bottom one. So I think we're at a point, we've had a lot of conversations internally inside of Lakeside and, and with paper companies and merchants and even publishers. We're at a point where we need to think about standardization. And we're gonna start taking a look at SKU rationalization and, and start to go through the data and look at it and say, look, you know, if we want to continue to stay in business and get out of this whack-a-mole situation, we need to be able to standardize on certain stocks, be able to give a forecast to mills so that we don't have to, you know, Gene, as you said, we don't have to guess at how many books I need. We could give the mill a forecast for the next 12 months and, and, and find a way to level load the mill with these standard stocks. And I think that'll bring some semblance of, predictability back into the business. But what it's gonna do is it's gonna take compromise from all sides, right? It's gonna take compromise from a printer side saying, you know what, I really don't like this sheet, it doesn't run well, but if it's gonna be a standard, I gotta figure out how to run it. It may take at a publisher, if it's a different PPI and it requires the cover to be rebulked, it may, it may require us to rebulk a cover. We're all going to have to, I think, make changes and sometimes sacrifices and compromises to bring that standardization. But, Matt, that's what we're looking at is I think about the word standardization, and we're going to have to work with, you know, with, with publishers on it and, and also the mills. Yeah, that, so, that's that's our, our big thing, too, standardization. And even talking with the mills, I think, is going to be one of the more important things going forward on what are their sweet spots. You know, I, I have exactly. a, a couple of mills that I may buy two or three different grades of paper from, and I've spent a lot of time the last year saying, okay, I know you guys don't like to make this particular grade as much, but you guys like to make this, so I'll switch orders, put this here, trying to make everything as smooth as possible for, for both sides. But And the mills are starting to take – skews off they're starting to take grades off right. so we are starting to see that but it's it's in a it's in a small amount right now but i think over the next several years it, it's going to come greater from their side and i think as an industry we need to get out ahead of that and talk with them about it and and get to them on what we are looking at that we would like what they run well and then hopefully you know as a whole industry can can kind of narrow this down to a much smaller basket in order to be able to get availability of paper right. so so Meg, I'll ask this of you then, you know, but but it's a book, it's a piece of art. It, it it the designer, the editor, everybody wants it to be, you know, what they want it to be. So how how are you guys gonna change from the, 
you know, paper A to paper B uh, and, and still make everybody happy. Yeah, it's definitely, it's a tricky thing, especially in like literary and uh, the literary side of the market where, where it's definitely like a, a big focus on this is someone's life's art, you know, um, this is supposed to be an art object. Um, our thing has always been doing uh, more expensive and more, you know, nicer finishes so that we can compete with larger press books because our, our idea has always been like, we're small, but there's no reason we can buy the same stuff that the big guys can, can buy even, even you know, just like, you know, varnishes and, and papers and things like that. And um, that was really fun in 2016 or whenever. Um, and, but the, the last every year, and I do think that smaller publishers have been sort of the canary in the coal mine because we've been suffering under this. I personally have been suffering under this at least. And I know my small publisher friends have been too for since 2019, 2018, since Edwards Brothers. And since um, the, the beginning of these, th things have not been normal for a long time. And when you're ordering on the smaller end of things, um, and so, uh, so all of those decisions that we were making that were all meant to make the book feel more, more, you know, precious and beautiful and all these things have slowly shrunk to the point now where, you know, if it's anything other than a standard size that, you know, you can get quickly digitally in case you have to, um, you know, uh, that you're not, you're just not doing it anymore. And so, um, I'm a book designer and it means making, you know, decisions really early on about what the book is going to look like, what size it's going to be that are very different from the way that we made those decisions a few years ago. Um, and that's managing expectations with authors too, which is, you may have seen some of our books that looked a certain way, but that is not necessarily how they're going to look right now. And I know a lot of small publishers have got gotten very comfortable with putting digital books out into the, the marketplace in a way that they would not have a couple, even a couple months ago, um, because there's literally no other place. And so I think that um, the cutting back of those artistic choices has been probably the hardest part, along with just, you know, not getting books, but that's obviously the hardest part. But the emotionally, the hardest part has been saying, like, no, we can't do these special things. We can't, you know, and I, we run a bookshop here, an independent bookshop. And if you walk through the stacks, there's so many little, there are so few artistic elements going on on books right now. They're all kind of just printed covers right now. And it used to be really what, you know, where somebody could really kind of step out a little bit more. Um, so that has been one of the hardest, one of the hardest parts because um, it feels like almost just a lowering of your expectations saying like, no, this is what we can accomplish right now. But we, we have to because, uh, you know, we all want to make the most beautiful artistically, you know, produced book we can. But if it's between that and not having books, you know, we, we need, we need to have the book. It is an object. And so we need to, we need to create it, you know? So yeah, that has definitely been, and managing that with authors um, has been, has been a really um, a challenging thing as well. So, so Jane, I'll, I'll take the same question, but tweak it a little bit for the ed market because the ed market's been different for a while, right? There's been a, there's been a push towards, uh, we'll just say, say the dirty e, e word, e-books. E, e Sorry, as, as book manufacturing, uh, book manufacturers institute executive director, it just I can't, I can't say it. Um, but there's been a big push to digital and education for a long time, especially in the higher ed market. So, you know, if how does the current state of things and being able to, you know, not being able to get paper and making these changes and does that affect the the decisions that get made in terms of not only what gets published but how? 
Yes, I, before I actually answer the question, I would just like to echo what Meg said and, and offer her my empathy because Norton being independent and employee owned and um, next year is actually gonna be our hundredth anniversary, which is exciting. Um, but we also really pride ourselves on making beautiful physical objects. And um, even though we're a good deal bigger than you folks are, Meg, we're, we're, we're incredibly small, right, compared to PRH. And it has been really painful trying to drive that message home of standardization. For us, a lot of that is trim sizes, and especially in higher ed, our editors love trim sizes that are all over the maps, and they make beautiful objects. Um, but yes, we're still early on, I think, in that journey, but it's what we are going to need to do. Uh, as far as ebooks go, I mean, I'd like to start by saying ink on paper is not going anywhere. Uh, print books are still incredibly important in the higher ed market. That said, yes, the pandemic created a sea change for us. Uh, the percentages of ebook versus print that we were selling, sort of, well, they didn't flip, but that ebook uh, went up a, a good deal over the last two years. And so now the way we're approaching it, and by we, I mean the editorial folks and the sales folks and the marketing folks, they're really taking the time to evaluate discipline by discipline and title by title what the primary focus of each book should be. And to that end, we've actually created four different um, models to go off of. And so one is the traditional print priority, meaning we do the production for the print book first, and when all the files are done, we hand it over to ebook production, and then they make the ebook. But we've now created a new model called print and pause, which is we still do the traditional print workflow, but then we stop it at a certain point, and we pivot to the ebook, and we bring that ebook out first. And the third is an ebook first uh, template mode, which is that that is going to be the primary seller that the marketplace for the most part is going to be buying an ebook and not a print book so the production of the ebook comes first and is the primary focus including the design the functionality you know how deep the interactives go and then a print version is created sometimes even just as a supplement it may just be take the epub file and output some kind of PDF that quite frankly isn't going to be that pretty and isn't going to be up to our usual standards. And we're gonna digitally print, you know, a few hundred of them or a couple thousand of them. And then there are going to be some, we've only actually had one or two so far that are going to be ebook only and, and there will never be a print option. But print is still very important the majority of our books are still going to come out, whether it's a primary print format or secondary print format. But yes, we're having to constantly pivot depending on the discipline, depending on the title, as far as the workflow, the priority, who goes first, how it gets done, how it gets handed off to whom to make something else. It's again, it's we're just learning new stuff and having to recreate the wheel in a way on, on a daily basis. Yeah, well, uh, I know, and for for those of you who, who haven't seen it, if you go to uh, my shameless plug here, bmibook.org, we did some research last year 
around the K-12 ed market and the preference for print uh, by, by parents. And, and we have some other research by one of our esteemed uh, attendees of this, Naomi Barron, who's, who's on the call. So we thank you for joining uh, about some good research around the need for print in, in education. So we definitely don't want to see that going anywhere. Um, and, you know, somebody commented that, that you know, well, well, we'll just fix everything. All trade books are now six by nine or uh, eight and a half by 10, seven, eight. So, uh, you know, maybe that's where we get to, maybe not, who knows. Uh, and maybe we get that same way with paper, right? I try to, when I talk to people and say, I, I, I'm in the book industry and, 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 and you try to explain to them there's paper shortage and they look at you cross-eyed and it's like, what, I, I've got plenty of copy paper sitting here in my printer. What do you mean? So. So this is um, um, this is a toss up there for 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 anybody, you know. Have has the publishing industry maybe overthought uh, over the years the importance of the paper stock in terms of its thickness, its opacity, its texture, its color, and and really the consumer. Is it, does it make that big of a difference? Would standardizing to you know, uh, two kinds, white or off-white, you know, it would that change the publishing industry as a whole? Would it change the consumers' buying habits, what they want, what they want to do with it, or or would or if it goes to that, because let's just say that's the doomsday scenario, right? That there becomes two kinds of paper in the world that we can print books on. How how would how would the industry react to that? I, I leave that up for any of you. Well, I'm going to just jump in real quickly to say uh, I hear what you're saying, but I do think one notable exception is the the really high page count books. You know, we do a lot of literary anthologies, very high page count hard science books, and you know we have to print on really lightweight. 24 pound 1330 PPI stock. And even then, we, sometimes we get page counts that physically can't be bound, right? Because the spine sizes would be too big. So that's one exception that it can't be a binary. Here's your coded <laughs> stock. Here's your uncoded <laughs> stock. But but I hear what you're saying. And I think, I think you're right. We're going to get closer and closer to that. Like, will there be one 40 pound, you know, matte coded stock at what 834 910 ppi and every single publisher is going to use that yeah i think we may very well be going to that out of necessity and we're all going to have to agree to it yeah and, and i think i think you know this is obviously uh, you know the, the title is about paper because i think that is even though we're having other issues with labor and other materials paper really is at the root of this because you can't make a book without paper right there's alternates, soft cover to hard cover. It, there are some different things that we can work on, but without paper, you don't have a book. And, and my take on this is we really need to work as a, as a group um, with the mills and find what are the sweet spots that make mills productive and that, could take, that can de-risk this situation for them. And then what we do is we, we understand what those opportunities are, because Jane, as you said, we do need thin bulk stock because there's many books that are, you know, an inch and a half to two inches, and we need that thinner bulk stock to, to be able to, to run those books. 
but how do we work as a an industry as a set of industries together to make those paper mills sustainable profitable settle in on those base stocks and then work together on some of the other things because I, again the the worst thing we could do is have no paper because then we have no books and i think we all want to avoid that and i don't think that's a likely outcome i i wanted to add the 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 thing that causes me stress is that I feel like I go into most paper, I, I go into most conversations with my printer saying, whatever you have is fine in this vicinity. I am actually incredibly easygoing because I know how, how small of a fish I am. And everybody's always super helpful about, you know, telling me what they have and what's easiest. And and so um, I don't think that I'm creating books that are, that are a hassle um, for anybody and it's still not easy to get. And so, and then, you know, it puts me in mind of the sort of the, the situation with digital where I say everybody's okay with digital right now, but the thing is like th moving over a book, is, it's not without labor, it's not without time, and then you've done it, and then it's, do you put it back or do you stick where you are? And then digital is also completely slowed down and now takes 10, 12 weeks, which is like defeats the purpose if you're not gonna get a product that you even really like at the end. Um, so it, it's it's like, I, I don't wanna chase I, I, I'm, I just have this feeling that whatever, if we settle on two things, then those things will run out because everybody is moving to them or whatever, you know? Um, so- uh, Meg, sorry, when you say digital, you mean digital printing, digital not, printing, not yeah. ebook. Okay, yeah, just wanted digital to clarify. Printing. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and that a couple of years ago would have caused like, oh, you know, for, for most publishers. And now it's like, cool, you can get me the books, like great, fantastic. Um, you know, my book won an award and now I need books. It's not about how beautiful they are. It's about needing the book. Um, so, uh, I, I just want to put the perspective out there that I think that publishers like have been extremely flexible. And I think that we're all trying to do our best to just, you know, get rid of all our, our specializations and the things that we're asking for. Um, but it feels like even after that, it's still getting, the path is getting narrower and narrower. So, um, so yeah, that, that, that's just what causes me. Uh, causes me concern because I don't print a wide range of books. We print black and white and some color books and very simple kind of stuff. Um, and, and and even that has become really untenable in a lot of ways. So, yeah, and, and Meg, you're right. It's uh, that's one thing I will say to this group. You know, um, that's in the audience that on YouTube is thank you because the the publishing community has become you know um, the, I guess you, we don't have a choice, right? But they've they've they're understanding. You know, through COVID, when we didn't have folks, now as we're dealing with paper and material shortages, we do have a lot of people say, I don't like that, but I understand it and, and work with us. And so I do feel that there's a lot of cooperation today. And I want to thank everybody for that because it's not unnoticed on our side. I can tell you if we had the performance we had today, a couple of years ago, my phone would be ringing off the hook. Uh, but now everybody's working together saying, how do we make that better? How do we how do we get you the books that you need, the most important ones that you need right away? How do we how do we work together to make that happen? That's we've got to continue to do that while we work on some of these bigger industry problems. Yeah, and I, and I definitely think as you know as, we, as we've moved along um, as a company, I, I think and going forward because as as Meg said, there's still a finite number of amount of book paper out there, and even if we're knocking it down, say from you know 20 grades down to 10 grades. We're still at you know a thousand tons a month across the board with mills switching over to brown packaging, all more lucrative areas. We still have to be cognizant of that. I think one of the things on our end that that we need to look at um, in publishing 
and especially in our company, I think is is kind of yeah we we may have you know a thousand different SKUs right now, but and a great deal of those SKUs are very rarely used items. So we may we may have a couple of books and we've ordered forty thousand pounds to fill a truck, and we're only using twenty thousand pounds. And in the past, we've been okay. You know, we'll use this in six months and eight months. We can keep it. But now we a don't know if we're going to use it, and b that paper could have been used. That twenty thousand pounds could have been a lot helpful, in, you know, being a different grade from that mill. So I think taking a look at some of the, the the smaller stuff that we run, and just some of the titles that we're doing, if it's on one of our you know main papers, roll size might be different. We can move things, but trying to keep those fringe items to a minimum, where we're we're not sitting on extra inventory that we can't use, which at this point is you know a sin. We need we need to be able to use as much paper as we can. Um, that's going to be something that, you know, we need to look at and I need to, you know, on my end with my publishing groups and really communicate back saying, you know, let's not look at this for this book. Could we look at, could we look at this? You know, this will help a for reprints and just be overall just productivity for everybody. Printers won't be out of paper or waiting for paper. If we have something that doesn't require spine changes, those kind of things ready to go. And th there's a great deal of those smaller items that we have. And, and we're making spine changes constantly. I just want to throw that out there. Thank you. Thank so, you. <laughs> one way and then back to what, what we, we had it before. And it's just Absolutely. like, oh my that, God. That used to be such a big deal. It's like, no, you know? we can't move it. We'd have to change the spine. Now, I mean, especially for backlist, you know, one reprint is going to three different printers and three different stocks and their binders and templates. We are just constantly changing our spine sizes and we still have a, a quite new backlist production manager who may or may not have regretted um, coming to work with us but it's just become his daily thing is is changing spine sizes again and then that's another thing you have to keep track of right going forward and it just opens up a whole gulf of mistakes that could be made but it's just what we have to do to to get books yeah, we've had to do that. We've had to go groundwood to free sheet for reprints, even some initial titles, just because we couldn't, you know, especially back in February and March, I had six trucks of paper that took six weeks to get to Canada mm -hmm. from uh, from uh, a warehouse in Pennsylvania and one of, and a warehouse in Chicago, just a nightmare, but you had to use what you have. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, mm -hmm. all hands on deck. Yeah, we we did get a question in and, and I kind of asked this in a different way earlier, but but I think it's 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 worth mentioning. You know, do you guys, the, the publishers here, do you have any research from from readers, from from consumers at all about, you know, how much they notice the paper differences and, and, and what the effect of that really is on buying habits, on their opinion, you know, their value on a book? Um. I think that uh, I, I I don't, and I think that it matters a lot less to people um, than we probably think it does. Um, and uh, you know, I I think that it matters with smaller books because they, they the there's like a flimsiness factor and everything. But yeah, I don't think people have too much of a concern about it. Um, or but I also always say I don't think people have any idea how books are made. It, even <laughs> the general population has zero idea. Um, we get asked all the time if we print our own books here in my like 800 square foot office. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, 
it's it's so I'm not sure that it occurs to to anyone. I think it hurts publishers' souls more than maybe the the population. Um, but I, I also think that you know consumers are are used to paying the same price they've been paying forever for books. Um, and maybe if they if they were if they could see that, that that something was higher, we would have an easier time maybe increasing prices um, because it's definitely you know that that's a real sticking point and we don't want to pass that on to the consumers. But um, but yeah, I wish they could see the difference a little bit more so <laughs> they could see you know this is nicer and 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 you should you should love what we're doing for you. But um, I'm not I don't know if if people really feel that stock and say oh like this is a nice you know this is a good quality paper stock. I don't know maybe um, <laughs> Norton papers of different experience. No, I would say to, to, for the vast majority, I agree with you completely, Meg. Uh, every once in a while, <laughs> we get some comment. I actually had a, an email forwarded to me last week um, from a customer complaining about the paper that we we did a reprint of one of our Norton Critical Editions on, the Norton Critical Editions. They're basically the classics, like the Penguin Classics. And this customer wrote a long letter. I mean, we printed on a partial groundwood. We switched to that a couple of years ago. It used to be on a free sheet. And they were talking about how flimsy it was and how thin it was and how they tried to write on it and it started to tear, which of course was fake news. I did a test myself and the, the paper did not tear, but it was this long letter and, 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 and it ended with, I certainly hope in the future, a house like Norton will bring their standards back up. And I just was like, you gotta be kidding me. Well, so, Jane, I've noticed if I take paper and I do this, it tears, yeah. you know, it's, it's yeah. one of those things that, that has that The answer is that guy noticed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, for the for 99%, I completely agree with you, Meg. I don't, I don't think folks really notice or care it's about the intellectual content, right? We all pride ourselves on our intellectual content. That's what matters the most. Well, I'm gonna. We we've only got a couple minutes left, so if if there are questions, please uh, please get those well, in. Uh, sorry, Dr. Matt. I was just yeah. gonna say there was a question that was asked about labor because labor really I didn't hit on it very hard because I think we've been we've had the labor issues so long we, we're just we're used to trying to work through them, but the question was about is there opportunities for automation? The answer is yes, there is opportunity for automation. We actually, many manufacturers ordered automation equipment last year and it's sitting in Europe waiting for electronic parts from Germany to come in and, and make it. So all, so again, we are trying to automate and we're trying to look at it, but again, that's, you know, many times it's 10 months to a year to get equipment. And then there are transportation issues and all those fun challenges when it's ready to go. Yeah, you, you, and you actually, it's exactly where I was gonna go, Dirk, was the, I think two questions that I get a lot uh, is is around capacity. Well, if if there's all this interest in books now and, and we need more book paper, why doesn't somebody, why, usually that means, you know, economics, right? If there's demand, someone would create a supply. Um, and the number I heard uh, this week was to Greenfield, a brand new paper mill would take five years and cost $2 billion. So I don't know if anybody feels comfortable taking $2 billion, waiting five years and expecting, you know, that return on investment to be better than doing it, putting that money somewhere else. 
Um, and that's kind of someone said, well, why don't we, why is there more capacity? Why wasn't somebody like Lakeside? If you, if you've got all these orders there, why don't you just have more factories and more equipment and more people and increase your capacity? Yeah, and again, some, some of you have, a lot of our members have actually expanded, but you have to have a labor force to work the machinery. Hopefully you're adding machinery that is automated, but if you, or it helps robotics and make things need less labor, but as Dirk mentioned, it's 18 months right now if you order something today uh, before it shows up and the manufacturers have to get capital to increase warehouse space to try to find new people. I mean, it's it's a rolling problem. It, right. it just keeps on going. Yeah, and I would just say every day we're looking at ways to increase capacity and, and we are giving publishers feedback. Um, if there's a, if there's a, 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 I'll pick one of my favorite types of things is we now see a lot of oblong books instead of upright books. Oblong books don't run as well in the bindery as upright books. So they eat capacity. So we produce less books when we produce those oblong books. So we're giving feedback and, and we're doing two things. We're working at how do we run them better? How do we get better? But we're also providing that feedback to, to publishers to say, hey, if this changed or if we could change something, this would help. Well, I know we could go on and on and on about this and 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 I appreciate the time that, that you guys have given to this event and, and your insights and hopefully some folks uh, got some some new knowledge out of this or at least commiserated with us for, for a bit. Um, so I just want to thank New York Book Forum for putting this on and thank you to my distinguished panelists for, for taking the time. Thank you. Enjoy that. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So Janet, I'll hand it back to you. Thanks, Matt, and thanks to all of the panelists, Dave, Dirk, Jane, and Meg. Meg, you made my heart beat faster when you said it hurts publishers' souls, because all of those of us who have worked in the book publishing industry know that there are souls involved in all of these books, and it's so important. And Jane, when you're talking about the 1,300-page book, Dave, I was waiting for Dave to hype up about the 32-page book that needs the really fat, thick paper so that it can be bound at 32 pages. Yes. And we do a whole bunch of those at Penguin Random House. And it's 100 pound coded, yes. Anybody so, have any 100 pound uncoded? <laughs> I'm sure you're going to get a flood of calls later this week, Dave. Um, but there's, you know, that's the problem. There's two ends of a spectrum, and it's a huge spectrum. And then there's everything in between. But anyway, I think that you all have done a marvelous job of talking about the issues for considering what happens when we don't have enough paper and we have to figure out now we have this much paper instead of this much paper, what do we do? Print quantities, divert some reprint paper to first printings, divert some first printing papers to reprints beg Dirk to find some paper somewhere in his warehouse out back, <laughs> you know, anyway, thank you so much. Um, Matt, a million apologies, Ohio University. I will write it 7,300 times and send so, you. It's all right. I'll, 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 just, get you, I'll just get you, I'll just get you a sweatshirt. That okay, way you... <laughs> fine. I, I've never worn a sweatshirt in my life, but I'll wear yours. Um, all of the programs, 
that the New York Book Forum has done so far have, are on the website, and tonight's will be in case you want to share this program with other people. So go to newyorkbookforum.org and hit events, and you'll see the programs we've run so far. Um, membership, we are offering a special. If you sign up now for membership to newyorkbookforum.org, you will get six months free, and then we'll send you a little email and says, do you want to join? And you better say yes, because it's cool. Um, on July 12th, we're going to have our launch party in New York. It's going to be an in-person event, provided that COVID numbers come back into check before July 12th. Watch for details on the website. And we've got a couple of white papers out there, one of which is about educational publishing that I think is very interesting that Jay Diskey did an interview with an author that talked about how the pandemic particularly impacted educational publishing. And we recently commissioned another white paper about banned books and freedom of speech from NCAC uh, Executive Director Chris Finan. So please look at our website, keep an eye on what we've got going on, sign up for the mailing list or for the six months free membership, hopefully the latter. And um, thank you very much for joining us this evening. I really appreciate your time and your interest. Bye-bye. Thank you for having us. Thanks. Yep, thank, thank you. you. Bye-bye.